Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. It's great to be here this morning. It's wonderful to be with my family here at Neighborhood Church, uh, the place that we call home, the place that we remember each and every day that we're over there 7,903 miles away from Castro Valley. I didn't know that either. Um, I knew it was far away, but I didn't know it was that far. It's a wonderful privilege for me to be able to share with you today in this series on salt. I wasn't here for Pastor Butch's message, but I heard about the little packet of salt that he enclosed in all the programs that morning, bringing, driving home the point that salt is to preserve, and our culture here in the United States needs some preservation, wouldn't you say? Well, whose responsibility is that? Ours, because we are the salt of the earth, amen? And then last week, our brother shared with us about salt giving the distinctiveness to the flavor of food, and it does indeed do that. Without salt, food is just kind of boring and bland, isn't it? And so we do that for our culture, uh, for the world. We, we bring the distinctiveness of who we are as God's, the pinnacle of God's creation and what he desires from us and, and to do in us. And today, my topic is salt is to be scattered. Have you ever been maybe in your home or at a restaurant and you reach for the salt and you go to put it on your food and somebody has loosened the top? <laughs> and salt just goes all over one spot on your food. Do you eat that part? Because it's not good for there to be too much salt in one place, right? It, it preserves, it makes food taste distinctive when it's in right proportion, but if there's too much, we just cut that part off and push it aside. That's what we're going to talk about today, that salt is to be scattered. And I hope that as a result of our time together in the Word, today that maybe somebody here today will come out to the mission center after the service and say, Pastor Randy, I think God's calling me to be scattered somewhere. That may be locally or it could be globally. Who knows? God knows and he will do his work. When I was a Bible college student, there was an old, we sang hymns back in those days in our chapel service, and there was a hymn that we sang sometimes in chapel called, I Surrender All. Anybody remember that old hymn? Yeah. Neighborhood church loves the hymns. Well, we kind of tongue-in-cheek, we, we meaning my classmates, my co-students, and I, we sort of did a tongue-in-cheek version of I Surrender All. I won't sing it for you, but I'll tell you the words. It goes like this. Some to Jesus I surrender. Some to him I freely give. I will sometimes love and trust him. In his presence sometimes live. I surrender some, I surrender some, some to him, my blessed Savior, I surrender some. It's funny, not because it's in a ha-ha kind of funny way, but it's funny because it's too true in our lives. Uh, we, as followers of Jesus, we are delighted with the unconditional love that is offered to us by God through his son Jesus. We are happy with his complete forgiveness of our sin. We are looking forward to the unequivocal hope that we have of heaven 
because we are followers of Jesus. But when it comes to what God asks of us, we pause and step back and take stock too often. We hold a little bit in reserve for ourselves too often. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning, whether any of us might be in that place today, and God has something to say to us. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I'm sorry I did not look up the page number on the seat Bible that's in front of you, but if you're sitting near somebody who doesn't seem so familiar with the Bible, offer a hand so they can get to Mark chapter 10 with you. Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus has an encounter with a man who the Bible tells us is rich. He has an encounter with a rich man. And this, this rich man is actually the person who initiated this conversation with Jesus. He, he came to Jesus to ask him a question. And so the, this rich man who was probably confident in himself because he was rich and and well-qualified, and just uh, had a good self-esteem, he approached Jesus and he asked him a question. He said, good teacher, in verse 17, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the first thing I noticed when I was studying for this message is the question, the word that he used in the question. He did not ask, what must I do to earn eternal life? He didn't ask, what must I do to merit eternal life, he said, how can I be made an heir of eternal life? He wanted eternal life as an inheritance. We don't know a lot about this man. We don't know if he was from old money, but he could possibly have been from old money, meaning that he didn't work for what he had, but he inherited what he had from his parents or his grandparents, perhaps. He perhaps had been made an heir of the worldly possessions that he had. So he came to Jesus with a question about how he could inherit eternal life free of charge. He didn't want to pay a price. He wanted the goods for nothing. How can I be made an heir? Perhaps because that's what he was in the world. He was an heir of the riches that he had. Well, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Jesus answered him by telling him that there were some things that he needed to do to have eternal life. But I find it also very interesting, as you look at verse 21, Jesus who could read this man's heart, Jesus who knew this man's motives, he knew the sincerity or the insincerity of the man's request, he knew all of that, but verse 21 says that when Jesus looked at him, what did he do? He loved him. His heart was laid bare before the Lord, as is all of our hearts. But Jesus loved him. And he loves you and me in the same way. Regardless of how divided we may be, regardless of how mixed our motives might be, Jesus looks at us and he loves us. But in the midst of that love, Jesus cuts to the quick in this man's life, in his heart. 
And Jesus answered him, One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. One thing. But wow, what a thing. What a thing Jesus asked of this man. He knew this man. And he spoke right to the need. And the, the text tells us that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. He thought eternal life, perhaps like his material wealth, could be had for nothing. That he could just simply be in some easy fashion enfolded into the family and made heir of the inheritance. He thought his good works, perhaps, were sufficient, but they weren't. Whatever it was that he had, whatever it was that he did, Jesus said, you got to give something up first before you come and follow me. Now, where were his disciples? Where were Jesus' disciples? I'm guessing that they were probably standing nearby, and they were listening to this conversation that was going on between the Lord and this rich man. And so they reacted, perhaps with disdain in their voices. They reacted and said, who can be saved? If he's asking this much, who can be saved? This guy was a good guy. I don't know, maybe they knew him. Maybe he was an upstanding citizen in his community. We don't know. Maybe he was generous. Maybe he was philanthropic. Maybe he did share of his possessions with others. We don't know. But they were thinking, gosh, if this guy can't do it, who can be saved? And then, as they consider that question, their perspective is turned upon themselves. And they begin to think about their own relationship with Jesus and what they had done. And then Peter, who is always quick to pipe up, he says, we have left everything to follow you. We've already done it, Lord. We've already left everything. We've done exactly what you said this man needs to do. It was like he and the other disciples were looking for confirmation. They were looking for affirmation from the Lord that what you're doing is sufficient. What you're doing is enough. What you're doing is accepted. And the response of Jesus to this declaration by Peter, we've already done this, is where I want us to focus our thoughts for a little bit this morning. Verses 29 to 31 of Mark 10. Jesus is speaking. He says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Today, as we look a little more closely at this passage, we're going to be old school here this morning. You'll notice there are no notes in your bulletin. There's not going to be any PowerPoint for you to fill in blanks. You're just going to have to listen up and hear the message that Jesus has spoken to this man and through this man spoken to us. The first thing I see in this passage, and there are three things that I want to bring our attention to, this morning. The first thing is this. If you want to follow Jesus, 
there is a necessary loss. Not unnecessary, there is a necessary loss. If you want to follow Jesus, he said that this man had to leave some things. Sell everything. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to leave some things. The old adage, you can't take it with you, is not only about death. It's also about the life of a follower of Jesus. There are some things that you cannot take. There are some things that you must leave behind. For this man, in Mark chapter 10, it tells us he was very rich. So what was holding this man back were his worldly possessions. That may speak right there to some of us. Jesus had the discernment to understand that this man's riches were that which were encumbering him in his relationship with God. This man needed to divest himself of his financial portfolio. He needed to divest himself of his standard of living, of his lifestyle. He needed to divest himself of all the worldly comforts, all the worldly insulation, all the worldly esteem that his wealth brought to him if he wanted to move forward in his relationship with God. And the same is true for you and me. There's a necessary loss. If there's one word that I would use to describe the American church, that word would be comfort. Or comfortable. As an American living abroad, I have realized how much a core value comfort is to us as a people. We like to be comfortable, don't we? We have thermostats in our homes that, that regulate the temperature. We have heated seats in our cars to keep us warm on cold days. We have thermostats in our air conditioning in the car to keep us cool on hot days. We like to be comfortable, and I'm not saying this as a criticism. Notice I'm saying we, because I am a product of this culture. In fact, before I came back this time on this trip, one of my friends, my American friends in the States, uh, sorry, in Cambodia, she said to me sort of tongue-in-cheek, can you bring me a sofa back from, from the U.S.? Because <laughs> you know what? There is not a comfortable chair to sit in in the entire country. Of Cambodia. I have decided this, or at least I have yet to sit in one, except maybe in the, the lobby of a five-star hotel, because they probably have their sofas imported from the United States. We like to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. But what happens when you have had a good meal, and I've had a lot of good meals in the last three weeks here in the United States, when you've had a good meal and you sit down on a nice, comfortable sofa. You just lean back and you put your feet up. What happens to you? You get sleepy, don't you? You get drowsy, you get groggy. You get lethargic. And I'm afraid that there are a lot of drowsy, lethargic Christ followers 
in the American church. We are happy with things the way they are. And we want to improve things from what they are. We are focused on how good it feels to just be here and enjoy our comfort. Enjoy our blessings. We're comfortable Christians. And Jesus is saying to us, if you want to follow me, there are some things that you have to leave. We've got to step out of our comfort and we've got to follow. That word is an active word, isn't it? The only thing that I know that you follow from a couch is sports, right? We follow football, we follow baseball, we follow basketball, whatever it is, we follow it from our sofas. But in life, you don't follow from a sofa. And you certainly don't follow Jesus in a passive position. This word follow implies that we get up, that we get moving. It implies that the person that is in front of us is moving. And in order to stay with him, we have to follow, we have to move as well. Three years ago, this month, August 8th, 2010, my wife and I, Crystal, followed Jesus to Cambodia. And believe me, there was a lot involved in getting on that plane in the middle of the night. If you had been with us at the airport that night when we left the United States and moved to Cambodia, you would have seen all of our luggage open in the middle of the terminal because it was overweight and we were shifting and throwing away and giving to friends and we don't need this so that we would be within weight. There was a lot involved. In fact, for the previous year before we left to go to Cambodia, we spent almost every waking moment preparing ourselves to head out in August of 2010. I, we had, my wife and I had come to the... the the point in our lives of saying yes to Jesus, we will go to Cambodia, but my mind was filled for a year with the question, how? How am I going to do this? And I looked around myself, in fact, I shared this with our pastoral staff here at Neighborhood before we left. I remember saying to them, I feel like I'm tangled up in God's blessings. Everything that I have in my life, and I looked around at all the stuff in my life, and I felt I was just tangled up in it. And it took us a whole year to untether ourselves from all the stuff in our lives. And if there's one lesson that I learned then that I would share with you is in your journey with Jesus, travel lightly. Travel lightly. Our stuff weighs us down. Luggage is a great word because it implies lugging something, doesn't it? It's a great word. And we are lugging stuff around. And in that process, we're asking, Lord, I'll go, but how? Travel lightly. You may not consider yourself wealthy, but you are. But it's not only material things that can encumber us is it relationships can encumber us Jesus says go and you're saying but I got this relationship your job can encumber you Jesus says go and you say but I got this job even ministry can encumber you Jesus says go and you're like okay but what about my ministry 
Whatever it is, for this man, it was his worldly possessions. It was his wealth. Maybe for some of us, it's the same. But it may be other things as well that could be holding us back. But there is a necessary loss if you want to follow Jesus. You have to be willing to leave some things. That's the first thing that I see in this passage. Well, that's kind of a downer, isn't it? And Jesus knows that about us. He knows how we're wired, and he knew that this would be a downer for his disciples. And so he follows it up with the second thing that I see in the passage, and that is a promised reward. There's a necessary loss, but on the heels of that loss, there is also a promised reward. It's convicting and it's daunting and it's ominous, isn't it? When we think about the things that we might have to give up in order to follow Jesus. It's scary. And Jesus knows that. He knows that we are fearful. He knows that we are insecure and that these things give us some sense of security. So he follows all that up right on the heels in verses 29 and 30 saying that if you've given all that up, if you've given up your family and your home and all that for the sake of the gospel you will receive a hundred times more than what you've given up. And in the world to come, you will have eternal life. Now, how's that for turning it around? You may be called to give up some things. You may be called to leave some things. But God is promising you so much more if you're willing to make that sacrifice. For my wife, Crystal, and myself, this has been true. We left everything when we moved to Cambodia. Only what we could get in four suitcases did we take with us. But God has rewarded us a hundred times more. In all those areas that Jesus speaks about here in Mark, we truly are at home in Siem Reap, Cambodia. If you gave us a choice, to stay or come back, guess what we'd do? We'd stay. Because God has given us a home there. And by far, the biggest reward that we have in Cambodia is our family. For those of you who may not know, Crystal and myself, we don't have children of our own. At the time that we left for Cambodia, we'd been married for 16 years. And for all those years, I've been asking myself, why don't we have kids? Why didn't God give us kids? We were happy, the life that we were living here, but there was always that nagging question. But now, by God's grace, I have seven boys that live in my house with me in Cambodia. <laughs> and I'm called Papa by every one of them. And I can want, the youngest one is going to be three in October, the oldest one is going to be 25 in October, so I'm learning toddlers, teenagers, and 20-somethings all at the same time, <laughs> being a father. It's a dynamic house, believe me. <laughs> but I, I could not love those boys anymore if they were the fruit of my own loins. I love them as my own. One of them recently, when I helped him to open a a Facebook page and I was typing his name on the little application thing that you do at the beginning I typed his Cambodian name there and he stopped me he said no papa 
I want to use your name. And I said, you mean mate? His first name is Mate. You mean Mate Odom? Yes. So if you look on Facebook for Mate Odom, that's my son in Cambodia. But I look at the faces of these boys and I realize that there are thousands, tens of thousands just like them all across Cambodia. Because of Cambodia's turbulent, terrible history in the last 40 years, there are, there are misplaced children all over the country. Uh, our kids came to us, our boys came to us from the orphanage where we served the first two years that we were there in the country. And during that time, while we were still in the orphanage, God convicted us that there, these, these kids need something beyond the orphanage. They need something beyond high school or college. Their education prepares them for virtually nothing. So they graduate, they age out of these institutions, and they have no skills whatsoever. They can't even grow rice, which is what 90% of the population of Cambodia does for a living. They can't do it because everything has been handed to them. So they are children at risk. They are young people at risk. They get involved in crime. They get involved in gambling. They get involved in their pervasive sex industry throughout Cambodia and Southeast Asia. And so God convicted us. We need to be doing something to bridge that gap between graduation and adulthood, between aging out of an orphanage and adulthood. We need to bridge that gap by providing skills to these young people. First of all, bringing them to Jesus and teaching them, discipling them what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to give up what God has given you for the sake of his purposes in your life, but also to give them a vocation, give them some skill that will enable them to earn a living for themselves and for their family and to bring their nation up from the dust at some point in the future. So God has allowed us to start a little organization of our own that we're calling Equip Cambodia. And I've got a little couple minute video that I'm gonna show right now so you can get a taste of what Equip Cambodia is all about and then I'll unpack it for us in just a minute or two. We're on the street this morning in Simrip, Cambodia, the city where Crystal and I and our team are working and serving. Simrip is the third largest city in Cambodia with a population of about 200,000 people. The population of the country of Cambodia is about 14 million people. And statistics say that approximately 35% of those 14 million people are under the age of 18. So there is a huge uh, block of the population that is just coming of age. And so the, the area that we are working in here with Equip Cambodia is with what we are calling transitional youth. These are young people who have reached the age of 18 and who are transitioning out of education, uh, graduating from secondary school. Some of them may be going on to college. Uh, others are transitioning out of orphanages. There are hundreds and perhaps thousands of orphanages throughout the country of Cambodia, and many of these young people are now transitioning out, aging out of these institutions and needing to get into the next step of their life. And then there are also those young people who are transitioning from a village or a more rural life to the city. 
Siem Reap is the most visited city in Cambodia because it is home to the large Angkor Wat temple complex. Two million tourists visit Siem Reap each year. The niche where we are actually working is providing vocational and life skills for young Cambodian adults. We're working with our foundation being discipleship. We partner with the Cambodian church to ground young people in their faith, to introduce them to Jesus Christ, to bring them to faith, and then to bring them to maturity. In addition to that, these young people need to have skills that will enable them to get jobs to provide for themselves and for their families. We do vocational training where we are providing training in the hospitality industry as well as providing computer training and training in English as a second language. Because there are so many foreign tourists that visit Siem Reap, English is the, the means of communication. In addition, simple life skills, um, training young people how to have a relationship that is honoring to God, how to manage their own money in a way of integrity. Our purpose statement as an organization is actually equipping Cambodia's next generation for life transformation. And we do that by providing these kinds of skills. We provide job skills, we provide life skills, and most importantly, we ground them in the Word of God and grow them to maturity in their faith. So imagine 35% uh, of the population being under the age of 18. That means there is a huge number of young people who are going to be going out into the main mainstream of the society, most of whom are not prepared in any way, shape, or form. And so this, this vision that God has given us to, to equip Cambodia's young people will help to bring a fabric of society that will be productive and positive and most of all bearers of the light of Jesus Christ to the people around them with integrity. So that's the reward for Crystal and myself. There was a necessary loss but there's a promised reward when we follow Jesus. He rewards us a hundredfold beyond what we were ever what we ever needed to give up. But there's one more point, and we have to bring this one home. I wish we didn't have to. It would be nice if it wasn't in the passage, but it's there. So to be true to the passage, we have to look at verse 30. Because along with the rewards, what does Jesus say we're going to have? Persecutions. So there's a stark reality. There's a necessary loss. There's a promised reward but there's also a stark reality. And you have to ask yourself, why did he need to say this? I was happy with the rewards. He got me over the loss when he talked about the rewards. But then he says, along with all this, persecutions. Life sucks sometimes, doesn't it? Sorry. I don't have a job to lose, so I can say that. Life is hard. And if you have an idea that if you follow Jesus, it's not going to be hard, well, I'm here to tell you, and he, there are 
maybe a thousand others here to tell you, it ain't like that. Along with all the blessings, along with all the wonderful promises of God, come persecutions. And notice he says it with a big S on the end of the word. Not just one persecution, but one after another, after another, after another, after another. It debunks the whole prosperity gospel, doesn't it? It debunks the whole health and wealth gospel, doesn't it? Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, In this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have. He didn't say you may have. He didn't say you'll probably have. He said you will have. You're going to have trouble as long as you're in this world. In the past three years in Cambodia, Crystal and I have endured more trouble in our marriage than at any other time. If you want to pray for us, pray for our marriage. I believe it's the bullseye of the target of the enemy. Because if he can disable us at home, we're not of much use anywhere else. We've had trouble in, in our marriage. We've had trouble with so many things in Cambodia. Cross-cultural adjustment. Man, Pastor Mark, when he came, he bought 30 eggs for our boys to eat. But they weren't just eggs. They were duck eggs. And they weren't just duck eggs. They were duck eggs that had a baby egg inside. And these eggs had been boiled. And when you crack them open and empty it out, you've got the whole little duckling laying right there on the plate in front of you. And if you gave our boys a choice between Ghirardelli chocolate and a duck embryo, they would choose a duck embryo every day of the week and twice on Sunday. They ate 30 of them right there in front of Mark. And no, he didn't eat one. I did, but he didn't. <clears throat> he also coerced me in that same meal to eat a whole mouthful of crickets. So cross-cultural adjustment, trouble with the culture, the noise. We've had problems with ministry partners that didn't have our best interests at heart. We lost our little three-year-old boy for a four-month period. In fact, last summer when we were here at Neighborhood Church, he was not with us at that time, and we didn't know if we would ever get him back. And believe me, that was a time of mourning for my wife and for myself. At one point in the orphanage, we had to evacuate all 50 of our children and our whole staff because there was a threat of war on the border with Thailand. Man, I've never been around that kind of stuff before. We've tried to learn the language. We've dealt with mosquitoes that have malaria and dengue fever and who knows what else. And the very first day, I'll tell you this, we jumped into the end of the pool, the deep end of the pool. The very first day we arrived in Cambodia, one of the children at the orphanage died. We weren't quite there yet. We had spent the night in a city a couple of hours away. We were called that morning that he was sick. And then a few minutes later, we were called again that he had passed away. So we got in the car and we drove to the village where the orphanage was located, to the church where there was a makeshift casket that had been built by the men of the church. It had been covered with wrapping paper so that it would look pretty. And inside was Makara's body. We arrived in Cambodia at a funeral. The second day, our boys went out to our farm and they dug the grave. The third day, we loaded the casket in the back of our little Toyota pickup and I drove the hearse. I had ridden in as a pastor in a hearse a few times, but never had to drive it. But this time I was driving it. 
out to the farm where we buried that little boy. Man, it's tough. It's tough. Along with the blessings come persecutions. But I have discovered, as you probably have as well, that it's in those times that we learn how to trust. So today, if you're enjoying your comforts, praise the Lord. But at the same time, listen to Jesus, who's saying, you want to follow me? You've got to give up some things. I'm going to bless you, but there's some stark reality in the midst of that blessing. It's not going to get problem-free until you get to heaven. In Cambodia, we have an American friend called Heather. Heather's been in Cambodia for over 10 years. She speaks the language fluently. And she was telling us one time that when she comes back to the States, some people sometimes say to her, wow, Heather, you must really love Cambodia. And she says, no, I love Jesus. And as I said in the first service today, I could go for hours on a gripe session right now telling you all the things about Cambodia that I don't like. It's not just uncomfortable sofas. There's a lot more that make it difficult to live in Cambodia. So I'm not going to say that I love Cambodia, but I do love Jesus. And so today, if the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, that's what he did for me over three years ago when I went to Chipotle for lunch with my friend Brian. I had no idea what God was going to do over one burrito bowl. <laughs> but I went into, Cambo uh, into Cambodia, I went into Chipotle that day going one direction in my ministry and I walked out of Chipotle going a different direction because in the midst of that lunch, over that conversation, God dumped on my heart a vision for Cambodia. So, God may be stirring you today in some way. Listen to that stirring. Don't be afraid of that stirring. I've had people in our church say, this church right here, say to me, oh, I could never do what you're doing. Don't shortchange the, the power of God to work in you. You don't have to be a super saint. How do I know that? Because I ain't one. I'm just a guy like you. God can use you. If you trust him, if you believe him, if you get up off your sofa and you follow him. So let me pray for you right now and then Pastor Mark's going to come and close us up. Father, I just want to thank you for this church, Lord. This body of believers that loves you, God, it's so, so evident and clear that this church is in love with Jesus and that we have bought the gospel. We want to be about what you are about. We want to be impassioned by what you are passionate about. So, Father, I pray that today you will unleash your spirit in the hearts of each and every one of us here today. And, Father, that one day there will be people going to the uttermost parts of the earth because they heard your call here today. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that has never said yes yet to Jesus, I pray that today will be the day Today that your spirit would compel them as well. That a life worth living is a life in love with Jesus. So do your work now, Father, as we continue our worship. We thank you. We love you. We live for you. And we say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.